Coaches, the day that me and Walls have been waiting for for months now is finally here. Uh, RTP's Hot Summit is getting started and the O-Line Hot Summit, and we just we can't wait to get it started. We've been watching, obviously, all the videos the coaches have sent in to us. Uh, they are unbelievable. So glad we can give back to the O-Line community and so thankful for uh, all the guys that took the time to send those in for us uh, so we can show to you guys. So uh, you can sign up again for free. Uh, on our website, runthepower.com, we've got 18 unbelievable coaches, high school and college offensive line coaches. You guys can sign up for free to watch these. They're, they're, you watch them live uh, for free. You can chat on our website with other coaches watching. Even some of those coaches that presented will come on and maybe chat back with you guys and, and give you some answers to some questions you may have. So sign up for free on our website. Also, you can watch those live, but you won't be able to re-see any of those presentations. Uh, so if you want to re-watch any of those or you missed a few days that you really wanted to see because it'll be all week, um, th two or three presentations a day. If you miss one, you want to re-watch one, go to our website, get the all-access pass. Uh, it's as cheap as possible right now. That will go up when the summit starts, obviously, and then go up again uh, after the summit's over. Uh, but if you're a premium member of RTP, you'll get that at a very discounted price. So go check out everything we've got going with the Hot Summit. We can't wait. Uh, should be a big thing for O-line co coaches across the country. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Huddle. Huddle Assist is like having your own personal analytics director on staff. This metric guru will cover the performance and scouting data for every one of your games and your opponent's games this season. 16 columns of data and advanced reports in less than 24 hours will supercharge your post-game workflow and next week's prep. And unlimited breakdowns means your director can analyze as many games as you want throughout the season. Really, it is completely unlimited. Picture the scouting report you can create when you have data from, say, five of your opponent's previous games. You'll know their tendencies so well, you'll be able to predict what they plan to do before they do it. Uh, that's what we called a competitive advantage. So what are you waiting for? Now is the time to do what more than one-third of high school football teams have already done. Add assist to your Huddle subscription. Go to huddle.com slash RTP assist for all the details, including how it works and pricing. Again, that website is huddle.com slash RTP assist. And this episode is also brought to you guys by Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, and it has been awesome for us, especially all off season. We really love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes. Lately, we've been diving into heavy inside zone and tags off of inside zone, and it makes it easy, obviously. To go ahead and the defense is already set, I can set it to my under, my over, my odd front, and then uh, draw up the play that I want to with how we tag it in inside zone for our fullbacks. Just Play has a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120. That's $60 off the normal list price. This offer has been extended uh, and now will end at the end of this week. Get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Uh, don't wait any longer, guys. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Malcolm Agnew. Coach Agnew is the running backs coach at the University of North Dakota. Listen as we talk with Coach Agnew about his unique football journey, the importance of coaching the running backs in the run game and pass game, and some of his most memorable runs from his own career and as a fan. You can follow Coach Agnew on Twitter at M underscore 80 lane. Hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, so name is Malcolm Agnew. Um, 
coaching the University of North Dakota right now. Uh, kind of my journey with playing, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I played my uh, Little League ball in, uh, in St. Louis for the Matthew Dickey Bulldogs, the best uh, JFL team in it. Um, so I, I enjoyed that, and I played my high school ball at the Senate Jesuit High School at Spartans. I really enjoyed that experience. Um, then out of high school, I, uh, I ended up going to Oregon State for two years. You know, and you did some good things and some not so good things. You know, ultimately it was, it was a good time. Like I met my wife there and, and all that stuff at Oregon State. But you know, I transferred to SIU Carbondale. I finished up playing with my older brother, actually Ray Agnew. We were in the same backfield together. I played a running back and um, he was a fullback. So that was a lot of fun yeah. for us playing together at SIU. Finished up the last two years. And then, um, and then after that, you know, I participated in my pro day, went to the uh, NFL PA Bowl, and uh, you know, I had my shot at the uh, the NFL. I was going to sign a a uh, undrafted free agent contract with the Green Bay Packers, and um, unfortunately, I got some bad news when I uh, I had a physical that I had to pass, and I did not pass my physical, and I had uh, I ended up having stenosis, uh, which is a narrowing of the canal between the uh, the spinal cords and the disc. So they did not pass me my physical. And then um, I went to go see a specialist, and the specialist was like, "Yeah, you know, you have some some really concerning stuff going on with with your neck. I just I don't think it's wise that you continue to play the game." And so, you know, I was like, "Well, can you ask some like doctors around the NFL if like if they would pass a guy like me?" And you know, they're like, "No, we we just don't feel safe, you know, mm. passing you on a, on a physical." So, you know, that that was unfortunate. But I think that the cool thing for me was, you know, going through that whole situation. I realized I played, you know my most of my senior year with that condition because i was having a lot of stingers my uh my junior year and i thought it was just a bulging disc it actually was a uh a disc herniation which was which was in the cervical area up high so um that was dangerous but you know just by the grace of god i didn't you know get hurt while i was right. playing because it could have been a lot worse and and so for me i, I uh, was trying to figure things out and i uh, was coaching on my high school for one season my little brother was actually playing so it was really cool to be coaching him and coaching the running backs there. And, you know, lucky enough, my head coach at um, Oregon State, Mike Riley, was at Nebraska. And they uh, they needed a guy in the recruiting department. And you know, they, they thought enough of me to, to consider me for that job and ended up taking it as a, as a recruiting assistant. And then I spent a year there. And after a year there, I was lucky enough to get the job at the University of North Dakota. And my uh, my connections were from the guys at SIU Carbondale that are my coaches that ended up moving on to – North Dakota. So that's uh, that's why I got the University of North Dakota, you know, a little bit of everything. So quite the journey, and I'm blessed to be who I am. So, Coach, number one question, what what do you think of the weather in Grand Forks, North Dakota? <laughs> well, you know what? I tell you what. I, I tell a lot of people this. This this winter, <laughs> this weather will make a man out of you. It, it's simple as that. Um, it's, that's right. You know, it's it's winter for about seven months of the year, and it's long, and it's cold, and, you know, it's rough. I'm just thankful that, hey, we practice and play indoors. You know, because if we didn't, it would be a bad deal. But, you know, and the thing that people – I don't think people quite understand, unless you've been to, to Grand Forks, it's the cold, but it's also the wind. The wind is truly an X factor here. It does not stop. It keeps rolling, and it, it, it makes life a lot difficult. It has to be so. <laughs> I grew up in South Dakota, man, so I feel your pain. I've been up uh, there a few times. We, we coached up there. I was actually at uh, Augustana. So uh, it was one of the last few years of the NCC, and, and North Dakota was was still in there. And of course, we went up there, and they they beat the ever loving crap out of us. <laughs> um, but I mean, that that yeah, place, they had some good battles back in the day. Though. I used to hear about them. The, oh, dude, the NCC used to just be, you know, a, a bloody black. And oh, blue. it was a true bloodbath. Now, like you, you had all the Dakotas, you know, you had um, you know Nebraska, Curry, and all those schools, and there was, I mean, it was a beast. It was yeah, a beast. And was was Northern Iowa in there too? Uh, no, Northern Iowa was still up, but uh, Nebraska Omaha was still in there when they still had football. So I mean, you literally yeah. had all these all these schools. I mean, and, and a few teams run would run some spread, but most of them just line up and smash each other. So I mean, that was you know North North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota, South Dakota State, and then you'd have some of the the surrounding schools that really you know wouldn't have much of a chance. Augustana would be okay every now and again. But the, the private smaller schools, you're like, man, we're, we're just going to get uh, murdered in here. You know, Morningside used to be in there, and now Morningside's winning, you know, NAIA titles. It's like, man, we, we're, we, can't, we can't compete with some of these big boys. You know, we put a team out here, and these guys keep getting hurt. I mean, it was 
it was some awesome, awesome football. So I know, you know, you being up there is pretty kind of, you know, near and dear to my heart. But what are some of the things you're doing? I know as far as being a running back coach and, and having to, to get out and recruit people, is, is that something you guys kind of have to have in the back of your mind? Because I know you guys are moving in now with some of those big boys in that the league with the North Dakota States, you know, with the Northern Iowa's um, getting into that league. And that's going to be super, super competitive football, that FCS level. Is that something you're kind of keeping in the back of your mind? Like, Hey, maybe we have to get a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical. What What are you kind of having to go out to do now, knowing that you're going into that league? Well, in my opinion, I don't think it changes much on how you recruit players or the type of players you recruit. I think you still try to recruit dudes. You try to get as many good players as you possibly can. Um, I think it kind of affects maybe your geographical footprint on where you recruit. So now for us, we're trying to get more into, you know, the Midwest as compared to we're in the big sky. You know, we'd be out in California a little bit more just because, hey, we're playing some games out there, you know, so the kids will be able to see us play um, some games out on the West Coast. So I think it, it really changed your footprint on where you uh, where you recruit. Like for me, I, I recruit Kansas City and um, St. Paul area. And, and then, um, you know, I'm from St. Louis. So, you know, every now and then, you know, I don't, I don't go there in time because it's about 14 hours away. But, you know, if there's a guy I have a relationship with and they have a player, you know, I'll, uh, I'll listen in. But, yeah, I'd say it, it'll change the geographical kind of footprint, kind of our plan of where we go. So just kind of answer your question there. Coach, uh, as a running backs coach, I'm, I'm uh, an offensive line coach. I've been an offensive line my, my whole life. And so uh, when it comes to any skill type players, uh, to me it was always put a good skill guy out there and let him go. Uh, so every receiver coach I get in here, I, I always ask, uh, you know, some different things of what they see that makes a good receiver coach. Because I just, I, I'm just haven't not old enough or smart enough yet to to know what makes a good receivers coach, what makes a good running backs coach, and and it's always super interesting to me. So, um, you know, as as a dumb offensive lineman, you just say, I got a really good athlete back there that runs and. He's going to run over some people and be faster than people and go score. Obviously, there's a lot more to it because uh, there's some really good running backs coaches. There's some that aren't as good. Uh, what are some things that, that you're working, you know, with your running backs or, or maybe even what are some things that you see other running backs coaches uh, work with their running backs that you see a running back and you're like, oh, okay, that guy's got a good coach. Well, I, I, I'll give you a good example. So last summer, 2018, I was at a camp. And uh, and Lindenwood and at, at Missouri, and um, I had the chance to meet Stan Drayton, who's coaching running backs at Texas. Mm -hmm. You know, for me being a younger, you know, running back coach, I haven't been in there that long, so I was kind of taking his brand. Hey, you know what? What have you done with some of your running backs in the past that would help them succeed? Because you know, he coached Ezekiel Elliott at Ohio State, and he's had some other guys on his resume. I think he had uh, Jordan Howard one year at uh, at Chicago, so he's had some guys that really had some success. Mm -hmm. I picked his brand. I was like, hey, you know what? what are you doing with your running backs that that's different than, you know, other guys. And I'll never forget. He's like, Hey, you know, I, I really teach them, you know, the nuances of, of the defense It's like, Hey, you know, how can I manipulate the defense when I am running the football, you know, going through your read keys and, and whatnot. And so, you know, I've always known, okay, you got to trust your read, but he was really talking about, Hey, you know, learn more about how defenses are trying to fit things, how they're trying to stop the run and teach your running backs that that can help them, develop their vision and see things faster and it looks like they're playing faster on tape no they're just deciphering things faster mm -hmm. because they know what the defense is trying to do and they have a good understanding of the overall scheme and don't get me wrong this this takes time to do and I think there's a fine line between overcoaching your running back and, and trying to have them think too much mm -hmm. instead of just letting them go play so I think it's a, it's a fine line hey you go point them in the right direction you teach them what to look at and then let them go play from there and so I think one thing that I I think I do a good job of just my guys is, hey, when they're on the field, they make a wrong read. You know, I want them to make that wrong read full speed. And we'll correct. We need to correct on tape. But I think hearing that from Stan Drayton was, was big for me. Just in his last year of development alone for me was, was that. I thought I could learn so much about, about defense and about how I can teach my running backs how to read certain runs when we're running. Because we're a big-time zone team. You know, nothing against the Run the Power podcast. <laughs> not you know, at all. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not really a huge Power fan. But you know what? That's okay. We're not even going to get into that. <laughs> that, uh, that just helped me with teaching of the uh, how to read and run when they're running their zone stuff. So, um, But, yeah, I think, I think that's how you can really tell if 
a running back is being coached well. Is he pressing the hole? Does it look like he understands the scheme? Is he patient? You know, does, does he, you know, it, does he look like he knows what's going on the, the entire big picture? I think that's how you can really tell just by, okay, are his steps the exact same every time? Is he fall stepping? Is he not fall stepping? Focus on those little details. You can tell if a guy is well coached by a detail coach, in my opinion. Well, and like you talked about with zone, because uh, I ran it a lot in college, uh, you know, we were air raid. So any run we had was zone. Uh, it is mm-hmm. so such a huge difference when you got a guy at tailback that'll run it right and, and he'll bring linebackers to the double team and then cut off of it, uh, you know, getting up to the – depending on each coach has his own, uh, you know, principles, I'm sure. But at least from what I've seen, and, and we if we had a running back that would, you know, really wait to make his cut till he got – uh, really close to the offensive line and, and bring linebackers to us, uh, those guys really made our job so much easier. Yeah, and you know what's, what's really interesting? I'll tell you guys this. So as a player, um, going through my career playing, I really loved running the zone. I really did. But looking back at some of my old tape, I was like, golly, looking at things now, I, I really struggled as far as like pressing the hole. Like, no wonder – I've had so many coaches that were, you know, appreciative of me as a player, but they also pulled their hair out because I would always cut back runs too fast instead of pressing it. And I made my job so much more difficult as a as a runner trying to make the linebacker miss instead of pressing the hole, getting the double team up to him, and then, you know, making your backside cut. And so, you know, just I think that if I went back and had a chance to play again, knowing what I know now, you know, I feel like I would be much more productive and I would understand and see things so much more just because of, you know, spending so much time watching film and understanding it from a big picture perspective. Is that something that you're, you know, knowing that you know that about yourself as a player, is that something now that you're really trying to instill with your guys? Like, Hey man, you know, I feel like I would have been a lot better running back just because of my knowledge of, you know, the, the scheme, the offense, the combinations and what a defense is trying to do. I'm trying to instill that in you guys because I think now it can really accelerate your guys' learning. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think it's very important to tell you guys that. And I think, for me, I think the guys appreciate whenever I tell them my flaws as a player. I think that's something that they do appreciate. And I think it makes me seem like I'm more human. Because, you know, sometimes as a coach, you know, you get this picture painted about you that you, you know everything, which is clearly not the, not the case. Like, these guys came back and watched my old tape. And I actually, I played them a, a clip, you know, a few clips from some of my old tape, and I just had them critique it. I was like, yeah, coach, you didn't do a good job pressing the hole here. And that was awful technique and pass protection. <laughs> they were eating me alive, which it was good because, you know, I, I have so many things I need to work on as a player. and it, It's good for them to critique me and they can critique themselves. But, yeah, you know, I absolutely try to – anything I did not do well or did do well, I try to tell them, hey, you know, don't do this like I did it. Do it like maybe this guy did it. Or maybe if I, if I did it well, hey – this works for me, maybe it can work for you. So there you go. How was that getting to play with your brother uh, in the backfield? I don't, I don't personally have one. I've always wanted a brother when I was growing up. Um, but uh, in Coach Walls, I know, has coached with his brother before, and we've had a lot of coaches on here that have coached with their brothers. But uh, was, that a, was that kind of a special time getting to play uh, in the same backfield even as your brother? And, and I'm su- assuming – you know, when Coach Walls talks about coaching with his brother, he just talks about having an unbelievable amount of trust. And when his brother saw something uh, and, and relayed it down to the field, he completely trusted it. They were looking at the same things. Uh, did, did things like that translate to the backfield when you were playing as well, uh, having your brother uh, in front of you blocking? <laughs> well, you know what? He, uh, whenever he didn't block for me, it was, it was a productive run. But I'm just going to be honest with you, and I told him this too, like, I just prefer to be in a one-back system, not a two-back system. <laughs> so he was, he was a little softy when I told him, but I'll I never forget. I was. I bet. <laughs> my, my junior year, like, we, uh, we were playing Northern Iowa. We were on the road, and uh, we were on overtime. And we, we, uh, we just ran a little option, lead option play, and the quarterback pitched it. And he had probably the best cut block I've ever seen. He cut one guy, and the guy he cut hit another guy. So we got two people on the cut. Nice. And I walked in the end zone and scored, you know, what would have would end up being a game with a touchdown there. And so, you know, as much as I like, you know, running in just a one back system, whenever he was in the game, we ran some of our zone lead stuff. I mean, it worked and it worked to perfection because he, he, you know, and my mom always used to give him trouble 
because hey, now you better block from Malcolm. You better not, you know, let anyone hit him. <laughs> you know, eating him alive with that. But you know, he, he was a really good player. He was a really good fullback, and you know, he had his he had his chance in the NFL. He played a 16 game for the Browns and started, I think, 12 or 13 of those. So he uh, he was really productive in his career in the NFL. Had you know, had some time with the Cowboys as well. So you know, maybe I should be quiet to be more appreciative <laughs> well I, I know you like you say you're, you'd rather or you enjoyed a little bit more single back but when you go do go two back and, and you went lead zone which we're kind of looking into more and more this year um we, we've always at least at our high school we've, we've run a lot of inside zone which is very heavy you know a tight mm-hmm. tight inside zone and, and cut it back yep. we've had fullback seal away and it's a backside cut mm-hmm. where to us almost more like on that lead zone is going to stay uh, in A or B gap, what are you, what were you thinking or what are you teaching your kids if, if your guys run it? If not, what were you thinking about now that you've got a fullback leading up on lead zone? Does that change some of the, the ways that you're running it as a tailback? Yeah, so, so back in the day, um, whenever I would run lead zone, I would just – I basically in my mind, okay, I'm going to follow him and then read his block off of, you know, whoever he in the block, which was that place I didn't find linebacker usually – and so, and when we ran our lead zone, we actually last year we we would toss it. And so, hmm. what I had my guys do was, hey, you know, you gotta you gotta press outside to try to get that guy to you know to flow outside hard, and you're gonna get you know a wide B or C gap crease after you press that outside you know tackle block or tackle or you know um, tight ends block. Right. And then you you would get it vertical. And so that's kind of what I taught. And then you would S pass it afterwards. So you you press outside bang it inside and s path and back outside away from all the trash and that's how you could set up your block now if they were stout right you had to get inside pretty quick and then you know reach your fullback block that sure. was your ultimate read was was the fullback block but you know we tossed things more last year just because the guys we had in the backfield liked to toss better than they did handoffs so that's why we uh we did it that way so kind of got them going downhill a little bit more they liked getting the toss so we adjusted it so that's kind of how i taught just how they went through their progression on the run Coach, have you noticed um, kind of – and I don't know how long the trend's been going, but I, I know, you know, most of the teams in college now have kind of gone to more of, you know, the, the running back by committee. Is, is that something you think is, is you know, to, to maybe, you know, keep, keep the room a little bit more happy and, and spread some of those things around? Or is it for health reasons? Or is it just, you know, hey, we, we don't feel like we, we have that, that dominant guy? Why do you think, you know, a lot of these colleges have kind of gone to the, the committee approach as opposed to, you know, the, the go-to dude? I, I think a lot of people have good running backs. I think it's a reason why they do it. It's like, hey, you know, if we can get these guys multiple carries and let's say one guy gets into a groove, we'll kind of ride him. Because, you know, I was, you know, the last couple of years I've had two good running backs. And, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say just two. I had, you know, three good running backs where I would, you know, rotate all three of them and, uh you know, they would, uh, you know, sometimes they would get, you know, 15, 20 carries a game. Sometimes they only get five to 10. But the main reason why I did it is because, hey, I, I felt like I could get a good mix of, you know, getting a certain style in there. So I had one guy that was a smaller scat back type of guy. And then you put in a guy that was, you know, really big, that was downhill bruiser. Then there was a guy that was a mix of both of them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was, you know, from a from a coaching standpoint, you, you're kind of giving the defense a lot of different things they have to deal with. And kind of change the style and change the pace. I've been kept the defense on their toes. Because, you know, one one time they got to change down a scat back, and the next time they got to brace for impact. And then with one guy, you're not sure exactly what you're going to get. So, um, but yeah, in, in my opinion, I think a lot of people do running backs by committee A, because they have a lot of talent in the backfield, and B, because they want to keep their guys healthy and fresh. Because the running back position tends to get banged up quite a bit. Cause you got all 11 guys coming at you on one play, and you're running in between the tackles. Like it's, it's a very physically taxing position, but it's really, it's, I mean, it's really fun to me. I don't think there's anything like running the football. It's like the, the one position where you're guaranteed, you know, besides quarterback to touch the ball, which, which is I enjoy. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I think what, what's uh, always really cool when I watch an offense and, and uh, I'm mostly watching the offensive line, but when I see it is really cool is, is when some of these offenses get their tailbacks uh, pretty heavily into the passing game, because it just, causes especially at, at a lot of the high school levels it's just such a mismatch uh with with the guys that you see in high school playing tailback compared to the guys in high school we see playing linebacker um if we can find ways to get our tailbacks out in in routes I know coach Walls used to do a lot of I say a lot uh, I remember seeing a lot of wheel routes and and a lot of different things but uh there's just such a mismatch I know in the NFL they get some of those Texas routes and different things but 
Um, it, if you got a guy that can catch the ball, it's and they're putting a linebacker on him, you know, nine times out of ten, he's going to be the better athlete. And you can see some uh, really, really good things happen when you get it to him uh, through the air as well. Oh, no, 100%. I think, he, especially these days, you've got to have a guy that can catch the ball. I just That's just the way things are going. You know, unless you're around like a triple option or a you know, sure. whatever, right? But I, I feel like it's something that's really important. Hey, you, you got to be able to have ball skills. And that's something we look for when we recruit kids is, hey, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of, you know, prerequisites that we look for. But that's one thing that's important is like, hey, does this kid, can he catch the ball? If we don't see anything on tape, we got to make sure we see that in person. You know, if we see it on tape, that's, that's good and that'll help that kid because that's just the way this, this game is going. First off, it's, a lot of people are throwing the ball more and more, which, you know, that, that's totally fine. Like, you look at Christian McCaffrey, he had, you know, 100-plus catches. Le'Veon Bell in this career had, you know, 100-plus catches in one year. And, you know, Ty Gurley was on pace to have right around 90 to 100 catches before he got injured, hmm. you know. So you just you just look at the way things are going, you know, in, in the NFL and then even, even in college, you look at, the back from Washington State had 80, I want to say 86 receptions last year, somewhere in the 80s. Jeez. And uh, another one of their backs, they had two backs that had 50 plus catches. <laughs> like, you know, that's, that's a different type of system, but you're just seeing it more and more. Hey, there's a lot of running backs that are being used as pass catchers on the backfield. And it's like, why not? You're adding another threat. And if you check it down to the back, you're guaranteed four or five yards. That's, you know, just as good as a run play. It's, you know, a lot more running backs being motioned out and used in RPO schemes and whatnot. And, you know, for for running backs, it's it's an opportunity, I think, that we need to make sure we take advantage of just as far as running backs go to protect the position. Because the reality is the, the ball's being thrown more and more. The more versatile you are, um, the less that you're going to be taken off the field and the more likely you're going to have a job, simple as that. So I think it's pivotal catching the ball. And for me, I, I struggled early in my career catching the ball. It's something I really had to work on. And that's why I tell my guys, hey, really work on trying to catch the ball and don't just be a guy that can run routes out the backfield, like be able to line up and slide and line up out wide and number one, just to, you know, to be able to have that skill set. So I think it's important. How do you work on catching the ball? Is that something that you just got to, you got to do a thousand reps or a million reps and, and eventually you get a little bit better at, at catching the ball just from doing it? Yeah. So I, you know, in my opinion, I think playing catch is a good start, but I think, when you're when you're working on catching the football, you have to catch the ball when you're on the move. Mm-hmm. Like I think if you sit there and play catch, that's that's good, right? You can work on okay, we work on actually catching the fat part of the football and catching the ball with your eyes and looking all the way in. That's that's good, you know, intermediate practice, basic practice, I should say. But a lot of times people get caught up. Okay, I caught 50 balls a day. Well, you caught 50 balls playing catch. You didn't run real routes. Mm-hmm. I think you really get better with catching the ball, running real routes. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you do that, and the more successful and comfortable you get that's obviously going to help you. You got to keep banking those reps. And I think, you know, I think what a lot of kids should do, in my opinion, I should probably tell my guys this. Um, if, you, if you're if during the off season, if you can catch with your helmet on, it's so much easier to catch without a helmet on compared to with a helmet because your vision is so much more clear. So, but yeah, I think it's, it's repetition, not just with playing catch, but actually running real routes. For me, what helped me was I was on the jugs machine quite a bit, just with working on, uh, you know, my hand catching, and then I would, you know, move the routes. That's what kind of helped me. So, I I always thought too. I mean, you're coaching in college, and you, you recruit guys. You know, and everyone talks about the multiple sports. I think with with some of the the skill kids, it's it's important if they do play other sports, like going and watching them play, like baseball. You know, I always thought you know outfielders or infielders, guys that had to go track the ball and catch the ball and move. You, you could see a lot of that eye-hand coordination. And then the same thing with, like, basketball players. You know, you'd see some of your guards or maybe as a forward, kids that could go up and rebound or catch alley-oops or, you know, catch things on the break. And like you said, be on the move. And you'd be able to see some of their, their ball skills there as well. Whereas maybe some kids who, who didn't play some of those sports, especially when they were younger, I think you'd see, you know, maybe they struggle a little bit more with it because it wasn't such a, a natural movement for them to track a football while they're moving or track a ball while they're moving yeah i mean you you hit it right on the nail like you couldn't more correct like i give you props i was i mean i was clinical you should say that in the clinic someday that was <laughs> that was literally perfect i heard it from but, somebody smart you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll speak on my own uh my own experience um you know I, I did not play baseball growing up and you know trust me i'm definitely not much of a basketball player you can ask anyone that knows me i wasn't very good at it 
And so, you know, I, I think there's a couple of guys we have on our football team. You can tell, okay, this guy plays basketball. This guy plays baseball. He's got good natural ball skills. And you could tell the people that did not. You know, it just it takes so much more work. You know, it's something that you can develop and get better with over time. You know, it's not natural. But, you know, you, you do like that when, when people play multiple sports. It helps create those skills. And I think for people that don't understand that, that's what we're talking about. It's like, hey, this is how this translates. When you play this sport, this is going to help you with your ball skills. Or, you know, playing basketball is going to help you with your overall foot quickness and footwork and body control and things like that. So, I mean, it's it's. I know it sounds like a broken record to people, but it's just so pivotal when you're recruiting a kid that he plays multiple sports. Yeah, and even if it's not like competitive, I mean, it just like when when you're a little kid, you know, it's kind of that that whole specialism, you know, specialization debate. You know, when they're a kid, just just get them involved in it. it. Doesn't have to be competitive. Nobody has to win a trophy, you know. But you know, go outside and and play dunk ball or you know, getting outside. I remember we used to, you know, play 500 or hit the ball up in, in the air. You know, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> Good time. Good yeah, time. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's what everyone wants to be. Hey, it's got to be competitive. I got to be in a league. No, hey, go out and play catch with your kid. You know, hit him some pop flies or, or you know, throw, throw the ball up in the air and have him chase after it and run. I think there's so many, so many th- things that we can do, especially, you know, as, as younger coaches and we have some younger kids just getting them started at a, at a young age makes that so much easier than it's all of a sudden I'm 22 years old and I got to learn how to to catch the ball, you know, more efficiently. Exactly. I, I mean, you're spot on. It's, you know, the earlier you can start, the better off your kids will be. And like even, even with your high schoolers or, or college players, like, Hey, when they're young, start them early, even just like before practice, like I'll, I'll tell my guys after we do our, our pre-practice stuff, Hey, go jump with the wideouts. They're doing, you know, just some, some, you know, you know, pat and go stuff. That's easy, the easy way to help get more catches to track the ball in the air and just improve that skill in, in a, you know, a setting where you're just working on your craft. An easy way to do it. So I'm on board with you there. Coach, when you were playing or, or maybe even now, uh, as you talk to your, to your guys, but when you were playing, was there a, a few guys in the NFL that you looked to and you said you, you kind of wanted to model – uh, your game after and, and if not is that something that you try to find now you know for some of your college kids and say hey let's put on some film of whoever in the NFL this is a guy that you guys can watch that does uh, a lot of right things yeah so for, for me I grew up much more differently than a lot of people in our lives I, I was very lucky to I grew up being the, the son of an NFL player that played the league for 11 years and you know, <laughs> well, won, a you Super Bowl, you know, right. won a Super Bowl with the Rams. So, you know, I, I looked up to Marshall Falk as a running back. You know, I, I got to see that all up and close. So that was really special for me. And so for me to say I modeled my game out there, I mean, obviously, I think every kid should try to. I mean, the, kid, the guy had, you know, almost 13,000 yards rushing and over 6,000 yards receiving in his career. You know, that's, that's just rare for, for a guy. That's the reason why he's the first battle Hall of Famer. On top of that, he was, you know, one of the smartest guys on that entire football team. I don't think that's what people realize about the guy. He's very cerebral. He understood all the blocking schemes, and, you know, he could tell people, you know, okay, this is what happened on this play. You know, the guard was wrong on this play. Hey, this is my fault. But he was just very bright when it came to knowing the game of football. Um, I say I had a similar game to – if we had to give a a guy today, um, Devontae Freeman – is a guy I think I'm similar to size-wise and just, you know, his ability to put a foot in the ground, uh, I think is something that I always thought I ran similarly to. Um, that and um, Brian Westbrook, I really enjoyed his game. He wasn't a big guy, but he was tough. He returned. He could catch the ball. He was very versatile. And I think he's a guy that everyone should try to, you know, model their game after him like Warren Dunn. You know, I, I say a lot of smaller guys because I wasn't the biggest running back. You know, back in the day, but work done was as tough as nails. Like the, the the guy was, you know, barely above 190, 195 pounds. But he he went out there every single day with a chip in his shoulder and played with a lot of heart. So I I, I like to reference him. Uh, as far as guys, I have my backs to watch. Um, I think the Saints do some really good stuff with their running backs. Hmm. Like with with Mark Ingram, he's no longer there, but Mark Ingram is a guy that yeah he won a Heisman Trophy, but he was never a true blazer. And so I like the fact that when you watch him on tape. You really can see his technique as a runner. You can see him press the hole on zone. You see when he makes a jump cut, he gets immediately vertical and scrapes paint off the wall. You know, you can see that on tape all over the place. You can see him working his feet. You can see him locking the wrist in traffic. 
like you see all that stuff and I think it's good for my guys to see like hey you know you know this guy don't get me wrong he's a very talented player but here he is being very technically sound so we watch a lot of him and Alvin Kamara um, you know, I'm a, obviously a big Rams fan, so I'll put I'll put Todd Gurley. Or Todd Gurley is it's tough because there's not a lot of people like Todd. You know, he's just extremely gifted. And there's, you know, <laughs> sure. it's like okay, try to be like Todd. It's like, whoa, coach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, sorry, sorry for, coach. for me, I think Mark's always been a guy that's that's been good to watch. So those are a couple I show. And then Ezekiel Elliott, he's he does a really good job with his zone running and protecting football and running a good pad level and four lanes. So those are some of the guys we watch. I love it. I think, you know, being able to show some of those, those films, you know, I just think one, the, the kids are usually pretty engaged. They can do a lot of cool things. And, and like you said, that a lot of those guys are, are, are playing with really, really solid fundamentals and some of the little things that they do. That's, that's what kind of puts them on another level. Obviously they've, you know, worked and, and had been blessed with some great genetics, but you know, like you said, you can always kind of pull a, pull a few things from those guys. And I think the kids are, are usually glued to that because, Hey, those are guys they look up to. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's like, if you're trying to teach a guy something new with technique, and if they see an NFL guy do it, it's like, okay, boom, you got him automatically. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. I mean, just exactly. like that, it takes you no time at all. So, oh, shoot, like, this, this guy does it? Like, oh, you know, Alan Kamara did this? Like, he, he does this technique? Well, I'm going to do thing. You know, it just – and I, that's that's why I at least try to, you know, obviously all your stuff you should teach, you know, should be able to be seen at a table. And you can draw some examples from NFL teams, whether it's – some plays you're running or techniques you're trying to teach, I mean, you're, you're going to have your guys instantly, you know, on board. And I think that's what's cool about showing that tape. Coach, kind of bringing it back to, to uh, something that was interesting to me, just kind of hear your, your thoughts on it. But uh, you're, you're done with college and, you know, you've had some stingers, but I'm sure, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong for sure, but I'm sure you kind of thought, yeah, you know, that stinks. But um, going into – signing a contract I'm sure you're you didn't even probably think about um your uh physical I mean I've had physicals all through college and never once thought oh they're not going to let me play it's football if you're tough enough you're they're gonna let you play football so I'm sure that's you know kind of the thing you're thinking about all right I'm about to uh, my dream I don't know if that's your dream but most kids at least for mine anyways it was all the dream was always let's go play in the NFL um you know and, and even speaking from my point of view I get to go try out with the Texans but I kind of knew I wasn't good enough I I saw it coming that I wasn't going to be um, playing in the NFL and and even with me seeing it coming and knowing for you know a good few months going leading up to it uh, it still was a kind of a blow when it finally happened for a good you know few months to a year is kind of lost even though I had a job I still kind of lost and and didn't understand it Um, was what was that feeling like when you, you thought you had made it? I, I mean, maybe not made it, but you're like, I'm about to sign a contract. I'm going to have my chance. They're going to see me. Maybe I am undersized or whatever, played at a smaller school, but uh, they're going to see me when I get out there and, and I'm going to make my mark. I would assume not even thinking about uh, this this test I just took, and then all of a sudden they come in and say, hey, uh, doesn't matter how hard you work, doesn't matter what you do, uh, we're not going to let you play football. I mean, it was it was devastating, you know. And for me, I was caught off guard because you know I I had a uh, gotten everything looked at body wise beforehand at SIU when I was a senior, and I was told, hey, you know, it's just just a bulging disc. You know, do this, do that, take care of yourself, and it'll be okay. And you know, I did feel improvement. Like I my stingers were less and less. I only had one one or two my my senior year. I had quite a few my junior year, but mm. you know, so I was like, okay, this this stuff's actually working. And so to come back, and I'll never forget, it was May 8th, 2015. Like, I'll never forget, I'm walking in, you know, where it's, you know, it's, it's a Green Bay. It's, it's, you know, it's a special place like that. You know, it's Kaido Town and, you know, it's, it's Green Bay. And so I'm walking in, I'm, I have my headphones on and I'm kind of, you know, in the mood because it's going to be the first day of, of rookie minicamp practice. But I, you know, studied my plays and was kind of ready to go. And I got pulled aside by one of the, uh, one of the scouts. Because everyone's kind of going into the room to kind of do their deal to sign their, their contract and, you know, get ready for practice and meetings and whatnot. So I get pulled aside and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe they're like, you know, you're going to tell me something. I have no idea what's going on. So they pull me aside and they're like, hey, I, I hate to break it to you, but uh, you, we saw some alarming things on your uh, – because I got an MRI. They wanted to check it out, you know, rightfully so. They should. Sure. And so they were like, yeah, we, we saw something alarming. You know, with with your uh, with your neck, you know, you didn't pass your physical. We're gonna have you talk talk to our doctor, and 
you know, we have a flight booked for you, you know, in the next couple hours to, to go back home. Huh. And so, you know, hearing that you know, upon like being less than five minutes away from signing, you know, even if it's just a, a rookie, you know, mini camp or, you know, a rookie free agent deal. Right. It's like, Hey, you're so close to at least having a chance to, and for that to get taken away. I mean, it, it was very devastating. And, you know, and to be honest, like it's, it's gotten a lot better, but there are still times I do, I do think about that. Cause you know, I, I think for me, um, you know, seeing my father do what he did and, you know, seeing him win a Super Bowl was very special. I'm very blessed to have experienced that. And, you know, I, I guess I just always just thought, hey, I'd have my shot, at least have my shot to, you know, play in a preseason game or, you know, have a chance to make a roster. It just never occurred to me that this would happen. The door would be kind of closed. Not even closed, just like slammed shut. So, you know, it was, it was very difficult. It was, it was a hard, tough time. And, you know, like I said, you can look at it a few different ways. You can look at it as, okay, it was, you know, just a, a sad story in my life. Or, you know, I've tried to focus on the fact that, hey, you know, I, I played so many games my junior year and my senior year was possibly having this condition. And, mm-hmm. you know, because the reality is with the condition, I'm, uh, you know, one hit away from being paralyzed from the neck down. And my, my likelihood of that is, you know, much higher than the average player. And so, you know, for me, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm still able to, you know, walk and run and drive a car and, you know, and be able to have a family still. And like, that's just, that's the way I try to look at it. Because when you look at it the other way, it's just a bleak picture. So that's the best way I can paint it there for you, fellas. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's cool too. Cause I mean, you, you hear like the, the ultimate end for at least now for you is the, the guys that you did play for and the guys you knew at, at, SIU well now those guys end up hiring you at, at North Dakota so I mean it, it almost kind of becomes that that blessing in disguise you know hey I, I thought it was going to parlay to me playing well guess what the the experience and the people that I meet it, it leads into a whole new thing that I'm going to do and, and you're super passionate about that yeah it's, it's an extreme blessing you know it's, it's really interesting because when I transferred it was like hey I mean my wife talked about this all the time I was like hey when I transferred I was like okay, I want to get on the field because, you know, my sophomore, I didn't play too much at Oregon State. I wanted to get on the field. And so when I transferred, and I was, that was like my goal. But it, it was really funny to see how I was done playing, that when I transferred, it really helped my, my coaching career. Hmm. And it's just amazing how God works in mysterious ways. I would have never thought that I was going to be coaching first off, let alone that, you know, the relationships I, you know, formed at SIU, you know, would help me get to where I'm at right now, which, you know, bless me to be where I'm at. So I just thought that was, that was really – really uh really ironic there so it is really cool and it uh as like you said as unfortunate as it was it allowed you to get into coaching at an earlier age than you maybe would have if you would have stuck it out in the nfl for a few years which i'm sure obviously would have been a blast and and you know all the good things that go around with that but uh you got to jump on uh some other nfl caliber uh guys that wanted to get into coaching because uh they had to go play for a few years and and or they didn't make a, a squad, but they were still trying to after, you know, a year or two, made a couple practice squads. And and now they're coming out uh, looking for a job where you've had one for a while. You're already getting better and and kind of learning that craft while they were, you know, still trying to uh, make it as a as a uh, as a player. No, absolutely. You're spot on. Again, like me and Mark talk about this all the time. It's, you know, it's a blessing to to have a start like this. And they kind of have my feet on the ground and start to gain ground. Because yeah, you, you're right, there's some people that are going to be coming out looking for jobs. And, and for me, it was, you know, it was a good thing that the NFL door was slammed shut and not just, like, closed slowly. Or I would have right. kept trying to beat down the door and open it. Let's say if I didn't, you know, make a team or let's say, you know, a doctor was like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't have passed you on the physical, but someone else might have. But, like, getting the door slammed shut was low-key a good thing for me because, you know, there was no hanging around hoping. Like, okay, <laughs> right. You've got to move on, you know, because I think, you know, a lot of people get caught up in that. They don't, they don't want to give up. And I, you know, I'm the same way. I mean, who knows? I, maybe I would have still been trying, you know, because I graduated. My last year plan was 14 in college. So I mean, you're, you're talking about almost five years after now. So who knows? I could have still been trying. So but that's what was good for me is that door getting slammed shut because I don't know what would happen if it wasn't. That's awesome. I I just I love hearing the the stories, you know, and the guys that we that we have come on. I mean, I just think the the stuff that that molds you and the adversity that you go through is is what makes, you know, I I think th- this podcast and and the things cool because you hear 
you hear kind of that, that motivation and you hear kind of, you know, the, the experiences you're able to, you know, to, to speak into your players now and, and kind of have that, you know, that, that bond with them knowing that, Hey man, I, I had this taken away from me and I'm going to, I'm going to pour my heart and soul into this to, to help you guys. And I kind of get my, you know, my, my football fix through a lot of the stuff you get to do now. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's, you know, I, I truly do love, you know, coaching. Like, um, my father always has been interested in coaching. He's now in scouting, but, um, I think he appreciates me being in it. Cause I think that's something that has always been near and dear to his heart. But, you know, I, I truly do enjoy it. Like if you ask anyone, my favorite thing about, you know, this profession, my favorite thing about Grand Forks, North Dakota, my favorite thing about UND football is, is my running back room. You know, that those are the guys that, you know, I, I'm trying to have an impact on every single day I, I possibly can. And, you know, that's that's my extended family, you know, and they know that. And, you know, that's that's my single, you know, most reason why, you know, I am in coaching is for the players. You know, I, I want to, you know, try to teach them things I may have learned or didn't learn and try to help them to improve as as men and football players. That's that's my ultimate goal in this whole deal is to is to, you know, speak life into those players. Which is just uh, at least, uh, especially at the high school level, I'm, I'm assuming as well as the college level, I just haven't been at that level coaching, but it's just such a, a huge thing that, that some of our, our kids need, uh, some of our athletes anyways need. Uh, they hear all this positive things. You know, I, I've, got, I've had kids come through the program that uh, their parents weren't real nice to them or, or didn't have a whole lot of, of great things to say about them or, you know, and probably in, in – it probably meant well, you know, or trying to push their kids. And then now I see kids that are, you know, some kids that are very, uh, have very little self-esteem. And, and it's cool when, when you take a freshman that's like that and who's really skinny and small and scrawny. And then now he's a senior and he put on 20 pounds and he looks good and, uh, you know, he looks strong. And, and now he's got all the confidence in the world and, and something that's changed. You know, you can tell his entire life, even outside of football, has changed over those few years and it's such a cool thing when you you know send one of those kids off and and see the huge difference that the sport made for them I mean again you're, you're spot on that's there should be no better feeling for a coach than seeing a kid develop and improve you know seeing the kid start to achieve his potential seeing a kid grow from being a little boy to you know putting those childish ways behind him of becoming a man there shouldn't be anything better in my opinion like that that should really get you going don't get me wrong. Winning is, is you want to win games. Obviously we're all right. But when, when you see kids improve, like it's, it's, it's like, okay, this is, this is it. Like this is, this is why I'm in it, you know? And in my opinion, that's, that's how it should be for all coaches. So I, I think you're spot on. I think you, you probably experienced that, you know, a lot at the, uh, the high school level, especially probably even more than college, just because uh, you're seeing a kid as a, a scrawny freshman, Right. You know, 14 years old, leaving, you know, as a an 18-year-old, I, I still say kid, but they're, they're nowhere near that little, you know, little, little runt that you had at first. You know what I'm saying? It's just, okay, they put on all this weight that got stronger, they got smarter, and, you know, and there's probably amazing stories that you guys probably have over the years of seeing this kid grow and the things that you may have struggled with and, you know, the things you may have overcome and, the, you know, how you guys probably have grown closer to your players. And so I think that's, you know, for me, I see it as collegiate level, but I can only imagine how it is at the high school level with, with kids being with them for four years and seeing them come in and maybe even seeing them play eighth grade football. Like you see them play eighth grade football and they're out there, you know, making plays. And, but then you start to see them grow and you see them at prom, you see them walk across the stage and like, wow, that guy's grown up and he's going to do some really good things in this world. There probably is not a better feeling. Totally agree, dude. Seeing, seeing those kids, like you said, man, grow up in front of your eyes is, is absolutely, you know, what gives you the chills and, and keeps you coming back. Um, Coach, a, a question I had for you, and, and I've been wanting to ask this one, and kind of you know, getting back a little bit to, to football here, but, you know, in, in all the football you've watched or seen, it could be whatever level, you know, what, what's the, the greatest play you've ever seen a running back make at any level? Oh. Oh, you know, that's, that's a really, really good question. You know, I think the first, the first run that comes to mind, there's, there's two runs that come to mind automatically in my mind. And when you say like the best thing I've seen, of course, I, I tend to go towards runs because I'm a running back. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Marshawn Lynch run he had as the Saints, 
was <laughs> something that I'll never forget watching. And like okay. it's it's no, just no. the epitome of. Go now, ahead, coach. What what play was he running on that? Just so you know. Oh, you know what? That's a it good a, question. I've never paid attention to what plays run. He's probably running power, power, though, huh? Yeah. Power. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no hard feelings. No hard feelings. Power works. That's not my cup of tea. That's not my cup of tea. But, you know, just seeing him achieve those yards out of contact was that. I mean, that's going to get any running back coach going. It's going to get any O-line coach going, you know? Like, you guys seeing your – you know, you guys mm-hmm. paved the way for the running backs to – to kind of get through and you guys escort him to the second or third level. And, you know, then he's breaking tackles left and right. You're like, okay, let's go. That, that breathes <laughs> life into a whole football team, especially the guys up front. Cause I know you guys like to, you guys like to run the ball. It's simple as that. Right. O line guys like to run the ball. And then uh, another run that comes to mind, it was a Marshall Falk game six against the, uh, the Cleveland Browns in 1999. <laughs> you know, I, again, I, I couldn't tell you what run it was. But they were playing the Cleveland Browns. I'll never get one of the best cuts I've ever seen. He was uh, he was running the ball. He was he was making a vertical cut. And then there was I think it was uh, the unblocked tackler. I think it was a corner. I was trying to converge on him, and he just sees him out of the corner. like he stops on the dime, mm-hmm. like a no wasted effort, and just brushes the guy by. And then there's a safety who's the next guy asking this, and he just circles him, and the guy doesn't even get close to touching him, and he scores a touchdown. And I remember seeing that, and I was like, that's that is different. Like, even as a young kid, you know when things are different, and that was different. Like, I'll never forget that run. Never forget that run. So those two immediately came to mind for me, you know, kind of the, the you know, more modern one, and then you got the, the one kind of in the past. So, Walls, I got to say, say, as an OU fan growing up, um, mine was uh, Adrian Peterson against uh, Tulsa. And it was yeah, like that it was, was freshman year. Oh, I think so. It was <laughs> yes. a close game, uh, right up I think till the one of the fourth quarter maybe. And he, I don't remember it great. I just remember it seemed like he ran over everybody, then spun off somebody late, uh, and then scored like a sixty-yard touchdown. Uh, that's by far the probably one of my fondest running uh, run memories was was AD. Uh, we I loved AD growing up. <laughs> I mean, how could you not? The guy <laughs> right. so much anger, so much passion. It's like, hey, get out of the way. You're going to get a knee to the chest. It's not going to feel good at all when you're trying to tackle him. But, you know, I, I, I remember that run mm-hmm. uh, vaguely. I can kind of picture it in my mind. Um, I'm thinking Oklahoma's at home, Tulsa's on the road. And I kind of can picture him like stiff arming one last guy as he sprints to the end zone. That's his little, you know, when he uh, sprints to the end zone. So that one was a special one, too. That was a special one too. I uh, all those runs, yes. You guys, you guys have uh, a guy had told me a story, and it's a Nebraska guy, coach. Uh, it was it was Calvin Jones back in the day, and I get, when he was playing in Omaha, they said he took one. He took one eighty. So boom, goes to the house in high school, takes it eighty, but it gets called back on a hold, so that it goes half the distance. They move it back ten yards. So he'd already sprinted and took it eighty. Next play, he took it ninety. So, so guys tell the story about that, about how fast he was. And he was like, you know, 215 pounds in high school and could just truck it, take it all the way. So that was and one of the 215 in high school is beastie. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they'd tell stories about that. So I, I, I kind of had that one. So then my next question for you then was going to be, what was your best run ever? Huh. My best run ever. Uh... <laughs> That's a very good question. I think my favorite run was, uh, I think, probably my junior in high school. We were playing against uh, – it was in the quarterfinals. We were playing against a team called Jeff City. They're, uh, they're you know, kind of a powerhouse in, uh, in Missouri. They won a lot of state titles um, in the past. And, you know, it was, it was a big game at our place. Um, you know, we were – I think we were up 10-6, and we were coming out at halftime. And I remember our, our, our head coach, Pat Mahoney, he uh, – he told us, he was like, hey, we're going to come out. We're going we're gonna to be an unbalanced. We're going to run inside zone. And, you know, it's going to be a good play. I don't know if he knew we were going to score right at the halftime, but, you know, he called heavy right 22 zone. And we were unbalanced. You know, especially high school, people have a hard time lining up to unbalanced. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we, we ran it. And, um, you know, I don't really remember exactly what happened because it all kind of happened so fast. Next thing I know, I was in the open field. I just know uh, this is going to be random. But my office line in high school, like they block his own really well. Like 
just looking back at the tape now, like I had so many wonderful creases and I was escorted down the field so much, like props to those guys. But anyway, back to the run. So it was inside zone. You know, that's, that's my favorite run play is inside zone. And um, it, it was 80 yards coming out of halftime and it put us up 17-6. And that's probably the loudest I've heard, you know, a high school crowd was at that time. And, you know, being a high school, that's that's kind of what you dream for. It's like, okay, you're making a step out of run. We were undefeated. And coming out of halftime and making that run was – that was that was that was special right there. That was special. You know, the, you you love the the love you get on the sideline from your teammates, and uh, you know it, it, that one was something I'll always remember. Was that one? And it was it was funny because I almost got caught on the run. Like I for whatever reason I ran, I gassed pretty fast. Like I broke the overfield <laughs> and was 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 gain, was you know leaving the guy that was chasing me. Then the monkey jumped on my back right around the twenty five yard mark, and I barely held on because the guy tried to push me out of bounds. And luckily I held my line long enough to score on the uh the right sideline so um but that, that was probably my i'd say my favorite run if you ask my wife she would probably say uh my uh my senior year of college there was a run where i think we were playing eastern illinois my uh my senior year um it was inside zone out of the gun um i uh, kept the front side which is a big deal for me because i like to cut things back so i kept the front side that's probably why it worked well um <laughs> And um, yeah, I was gonna get. It looked like I was gonna get tackled for like a nine-yard gain. Um, you know, it's funny because my coach Larry Warner, he told me that day. He's like, "Hey, I'll, I'll, I don't stop running until you hear the whistle. Whatever happens, don't stop running until you hear the whistle." And it was funny because you know, I, I, it looked like I might have been down. I didn't, you know, didn't hear the whistle. I didn't think I was down because the, the defender was like trying to tackle me, and he would describe it as me like barrel rolling over the top of the defender as he kind of he kind of tried to tackle me high. But uh, my knees never ended up touching the ground, so I kind of like a little bear roll over the top of them and just kept sprinting and um, ended up scoring. So I went to the sideline after I scored and then my running back coach. And if, if I don't, you guys probably don't know Larry Warner, he'd be good for this. If you guys know who Larry Warner is, he's a guy that has a lot of energy all the time, all the time. So when I got to the sideline, he's, he's all over the place. He's like, see, I told you, you don't stop till you hear the whistle. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> he was so hyped. That is awesome. So and so that was that was a uh, that was a pretty cool one right there. So I, that my wife would probably say that was my best one. You got to ask her. Now you you said you met your wife at uh, Oregon State. Did she go with you? Obviously, uh, when you transferred, she she make the trip with you. So she finished up at Oregon State. Um, so we did long distance for shoot two years. Um, uh, she she was uh, she was around for my senior year. Uh, she came to quite a few games. But she finished up online, but she still was at was at Oregon um, in the state. And so that was hard, you know, doing distance for two years. Yeah, I bet. Um, it was very difficult. You know, I, I'm lucky I you know, met her because she, she is a strong one. You know, she, you know, coaches' wives go through this thing and they don't they don't they don't ever get a lot of credit. And so, you know, for her, she uh, she was the one that kind of held together. You know, she was the one that was very supportive and was there for me through all the changes and and whatnot, and it kind of just was always a a positive, you know, voice for me going through all the stuff I went through, transferring and just supporting me and, you know, putting things aside. Like, I'm sure it wasn't easy for her when I left. Like, you know, we loved Corvallis. Corvallis was a great place, and, you know, we fell in love there, but, you know, she pushed me. And, you know, you guys don't know, she, she actually grew up in this profession. She's a coach's daughter. Her dad, Jeff Mills, coached. Um, college ball for about 30 years, coaching a lot of different spots, you know, Washington, Nevada, Idaho, Youngstown, like a lot of different things. So, you know, she knows a lot of ball, maybe even more than me. So um, <laughs> you guys really should be interviewing her. To be <laughs> um, yeah, no, she, uh, she held it down. I mean, we wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for her holding it down and being the rock. So that's her. We we kind of talked about that, you know, uh, meeting her, being around. She's she's around you and, and dealing with all of that while you were still playing. Uh, I was the same way with my wife. She kind of lived with me uh, as far as when I was still playing football. And I think that is uh, – I hear so many horror stories about, you know, coaches have played, now they're starting to coach, and then they meet their wife then. And, and it's like, uh, you know, they're married for a few years, and then uh, it doesn't work out because – you know, the wife says, hey, you're at work too much, you're at football too much, and it's really, it's an unfortunate thing, but uh, that was one of the things that was uh, lucky for me was uh, I knew my wife while I was still playing football in college, and so uh, when she married me, she kind of knew, you know, how long uh, football, how much football takes up of your life. You know, it wasn't like a shock to her, it wasn't something 
new like it is to some wives that, that that's not what they're looking for. Yeah, she had been through it for three or four years of me through college, and so she kind of knew what it, what what all that took. Uh, so now when I got into the coaching profession, it wasn't, you know, you hear some guys that are like, oh, my wife needs me home. She hates I'm away all the time. I'm sure she does, but um, she's been through that. She kind of understands what all it takes, and it's been um, – in my opinion, very, very helpful that she was with me when I was still playing because now um, she kind of gets it and she went into it kind of understanding how how much time that took, uh, how much time that takes away from the house uh, being a football coach. Oh, it's, I mean, you're, my wife jokes around. I was like, yeah, I'm just a, you know, I'm just single over here. You're never around anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she'll, she'll make that joke a lot. And, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I'll text her. Hey, I'll I'll be home. You know, at this time, and she'll be like, so for example, I'll be like, hey, I'll be home at eight thirty today. She's like, oh, so we'd be home at nine thirty, <laughs> you know, jokingly because she gets it. But that's right. Uh, yeah, I I do think that helped. I think it helped with her growing up in it. But I think with with your situation, I hundred percent think that helps because they understand the demand of the uh, of the profession, the, the demand of the sport. I think one thing that we can improve on as coaches. Um, of course, you know, we do have, there's going to be times where you got to put a lot of, you know, hours and that's just part of the profession. That's part of just what we do. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, guarding your desk and, um, and actually just getting your work done. Cause mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of people that will, that will guard their desk and, um, you know, try to put up a facade. Hey, I'm getting a lot of work done. I, I give some guys credit that, that I know, Hey, they, they come in and leave when they're supposed to and spend some good time with their family. And they, you know, they're still successful. Like I know a few coaches at uh, this coach I know at BYU. You guys interviewed him, AJ Stewart. That's right. Um, he 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 was a guy that uh, he did a good job of understanding the balance that you need with family and football. So you know, he he was very efficient and productive during his days, and still was able to be home at a at a reasonable time with his wife. And you know, I think I think they won nine or ten games. They ended up going to a bowl game last year at BYU. So. You know, I think there's a fine line between, you know, working to just work, you know, and, and, and being really efficient. So I think there's, that's, there's, there's a fine line there, right? Like I said, there's going to be times right. where you have to, you know, to really grind it and, you know, long double-digit hour days. And there's going to be other days where it's, you know, not as hectic and not as, you know, heavy as some other days. I just think it's as long as you're secure and, and the work that you get done, I was like, hey, go home and see your family. Like it's it's so much bigger than the game of football. Is so much bigger than just us, you know, right. putting a lot of hours and having success. Like we have families, and the reality is, you know, I know not everyone has a family, but the reality is, it's me personally. I would be very lonely if I worked all day and came home and didn't have anyone to come home to and to share, like <laughs> you right. know, this this sport with. So that's well, my two cents on that. And the importance that I've, you know, tried to work on, and I'm awful at it. So I, I'm working on it, but I'm awful at it. Is is the time that you, that you do get home is is uh, trying to put away football for a little bit, and uh, unless you're talking football with your wife, but uh, and and trying to be <laughs> in the moment of of being with your family, you know, being with your kids, not thinking about you know the few plays your your kids could have stepped a different way or or whatever. It's like those few however long you do get with them to try to be fully in with them and fully uh, locked in and focused about that, because that's the only time you're going to get with them. Yeah. And you know what? You're not alone. I struggle just as much <laughs> as you do putting my phone down and, and making sure I am completely present. It's, it's an everyday battle. It is an everyday <laughs> battle. Cause you know, especially like, you know, at, and at the collegiate level, it's like, Hey, you know, you recruiting never stops. There's right. always, you guys are on it all the time. Wide. It's like, like, I, I don't do the greatest job with my phone as far as um, keeping up with people through text. And it's like, I try to catch up at the end of the day, but it's like, Hey, I need to give my wife, you know, the time she deserves. And, you know, even at the, at the high school level, it's tough too. Cause you gotta, you gotta practice in the afternoon and then, you know, you gotta grade your tape and, and, you know, get ready for practice the next day. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, just as hectic with high school ball too. So, you know, maybe not as much with the phone, but at least, you know, being home and trying to, trying to you know put it away it's 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 difficult because you you love it so much and you put so much into it mm-hmm. but you know one thing that I learned from Mike Riley when I was working for him and playing under him was he always talked about having balance and how important having balance is in your life and that's just something I try to do and fail at every day but I'll keep trying <laughs> 
Well, Coach, we're, we're kind of coming up on an hour, and uh, I know you're uh, you know, busy at this time of the year, but uh, the last question I always like to ask everybody is, uh, especially coming from a running back, when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, or even your offensive line, but, but another team's offensive line, uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things. Like, I, I love O-line coaches because I think they have a, a certain type of mentality to them. And obviously, they're, you know, what they do up front is pivotal to, to the success of the entire team, but especially, you know, my position. And so I think one thing that you can really tell, I think, a good offense line is how they finish blocks first off or they block into the whistle. I think one thing that really – I think when you know you got a good coach and a good unit is when you see those guys continuously helping, you know, skill players up. You know, I think that's one thing that hmm. really resonates with me. Hey, they're, they're helping a skill player up that's on the ground. That's just – the offensive line position is such a selfless position. You know, I, I appreciate those guys. The, the guys that we have and just those guys in general and all the guys that have blocked for me in the past, it's like, hey, I mean, you sacrifice all this glory. Like, I could rush for all these yards. But, again, I'm not getting any of that if I don't have you guys, you know, doing what you're supposed to do up front. Like, it's just not going to happen. And so it's really a shame that, you know, it's, it's kind of all backwards. It really is. Like, we get all the glory when you know, the whole line, they, they protect the quarterback, they block the run. And, you know, you look at that's the only position where most of the time those guys are playing every single play. Most of the people on the team don't do that. Maybe the quarterback, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. Skill positions always, you know, take some plays off. But that's the one position that grinds the most and usually plays every snap of the game. So, but, yeah, anytime you see a, a lineman finishing blocks and have a good pad level and helping their teammates up, I think you got a good group. But I really think you got a good group. And hear this. I think you really got a good group when your skill players up your offensive lineup when they're on the ground if they have a chance to. I think that's when you really got a good group. So, like, let's say, you know, I, I get up before a lineman. You see him on the ground. He just, you know, let's say he finished someone into the ground and he just was on the ground for some reason. If you help the big fella up, I think this is when you really got a good team because your skill players recognize the importance of the big fellas. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.